We do have the privilege of having Pastor John Mez with us this morning. John is an incredible guy. He's been a great friend of mine for a long time. And, you know, the, the one thing I love about him is he has this incredible heart for God but then also to take that to encourage people. And uh, John is the, the director of, of Youth Alive WA and he's doing a great job uh, helping youth ministries across our state. They've also planted him, his wife Sarah, planted a church, Life Chapel Church uh, in Coburn. And, and, you know, they have an afternoon service, so it's great that you were able to, to be here with us this morning. But, you know, I, I really just uh, am so glad to, to have John with us. I encourage you to, to lean into what he has to say this morning because I know I've already heard it once, so I definitely know uh, that, that it's a great word. I'm not just making that up because we heard it in the first service. But he, he is going to bring a great word. So can we put our hands together and welcome Pastor John. Thank you, Ryan. Hey, can we just put a round of applause to Ryan? Isn't he a great man of God? Doing a great job. And Zoe, you guys are amazing. Great parents. It's so good to be with you uh, this morning. I, I just I really want to just honor Pastor Dean, Pastor Lisa, and um, for having um, myself here. And, um, you know, uh, he's not here, so uh, I really want to honor him. Because, uh, you know, when you're not here and you let someone preach, I feel like it's someone giving you your car when you're not sitting in it while they're driving it. You know, uh, it's a bit of trust, you know, it's a bit of trust. And let me tell you, we're not going to crash, we're not going to crash this morning. All right, uh, <laughs> so it's so good to be here. My name's uh, John Mez, and my wife and I, we did just uh, plan a church um, in February, and we're pioneering. We're literally rubbing sticks together. We're in the pioneering stages of church, uh, but we're, we're loving it. Um, it's been, uh, what, five, six, seven months now, and, and it's growing and we're at just under 100, and we're just so thankful for God for what He's doing uh, down in the city of Coburn, and we had to drive, had to pack a lunch, uh, had to refuel to get here, you know, uh, all, those, all those things, but there's, it's an extended freeway now, you know, it just keeps on going. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day where I just freeway to Lancelin, uh, and then go forward driving. Um, but uh, let, let me show you, I've got a picture of my wife, um, Sarah, and my beautiful daughter. She's nine weeks old. Her name's Lexi, and, um, and yeah, I, I don't get much sleep these days, and uh, it's, it's all good, but we, we love her. There she is. She's my favorite. Oh, I love waking up that face. Not to her cries, though. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're excited. We're in this, uh, just a, a great season, and we're loving life. And we just want to, we, we're just excited for the church. You know, we're coming around to Mirawa and seeing this building, what, what you guys are doing here. It's not just a church, it's a community center. And uh, I believe that's what Jesus would build. He would build something that isn't just for the people in the church, but it's for the community. It's for everyone. And I, I just love it. It's my heart. I'm, I'm sort of coming in this place and looking around going, Lord, I want one. You know, <laughs> I'm like, please. Uh, but um, we're, we're excited. I, I want to come around the word. Before I do, why don't we just pray? Father God, we just pray that you'd be here in this place. We invite you in, in be a part of this service. May every word that comes out of my mouth not be my words, but would you articulate every word. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise, all the glory. May we learn something this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's just uh, lift up a shout of praise to Jesus, hey, because he deserves it. Come on. It's so good to be in the house of God. So uh, the title of my message this morning is Lost in the House. Has anyone been in a place where you've been lost? You know, uh, 
Who remembers back in the day when we had street maps? You know, not Google Maps. Praise the Lord, I had Google Maps this morning. But who remembers before Google Maps, before cell? We had the UBD street map. And you used to open that thing up and... And who remembers that you wouldn't just turn the next page, it would be like another 10 pages, and then you'd go and you've got to find another like two pages back and all that, and you, you just go on through there. We, we used to get lost all the time because we'd have a five-year-old street map, uh, and just that feeling of being lost, that, that feeling of, oh, that anxiety. Uh, I remember as a, a young boy, I went to my cousin's house, and we, we slept in uh, his room, and I was on the floor, and he was on the bed on the mattress, and I remember waking up at about, what, you know, 3, 2 a.m. in the morning, and just needing to go to the toilet, and he would sleep with his light off. You know, I didn't want to say that I was scared of the dark, you know, because you don't, you don't want to admit to anything like that, but I remember being there, and opening my eyes, and I thought, oh, I've got to get to the toilet, all right, so I went to sit up, and I just hit my head on something, and I was like, oh no, where am I? You know, <laughs> I'm trying to feel around, and, and as I sort of got up, and I'm trying to find the door, and I'm trying not to wake him up. And so I'm, I'm trying to find this door in this room, that, and then I'm, I'm sort of running into things. And then all of a sudden, my cousin wakes up. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? And he turns on the light, and there I am in the back of the corner. Like, <laughs> the door's over there, but I'm, I'm in the back of this corner. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, the door's there. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, just walked out. But I want to talk about that feeling of that anxiety, that fear of where, where am I going? What, what am I doing? And, and when we, we become lost, it's, it's what happens in our lives. So we're going to go to the Bible, uh, to one of the great verses about lost things. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 15, verse number 25 is where we'll be reading from. So we're coming and we're reading at the end sort of a movie. If this was a movie, it's actually Jesus telling us a story. And we're going to be reading it from the, the end bit, the great climax bit. So what's just happened in this story that Jesus is telling the people is there's a dad and he has two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. So the father, he was taken back a bit, but he gave him half of everything that he owned. Right there and then the younger son grabs it and he goes and he sells it all, gets the money and goes off and goes living in the city. He's, um, he's going and the Bible tells us that he's living a crazy lifestyle, a party lifestyle. He's going out parties, this, that, the other. He finds out that he runs out of money, then he runs out of a place to stay, he runs out of job, all that. He finds himself as a slave uh, tending some pigs. Now, if you are in a Jew mindset, I know we're not here because we're in Australia, but if you were in a Jewish mindset of when this story was being told in Jesus' time, a Jew had nothing to do with pigs because they were an unclean animal. Not even a servant, a slave, a Jewish slave would even be put at that job. So we see Jesus is telling the story of this young person is in the lowest of lows as a Jew doing something that no Jew slave would do. But here he is feeding pigs, tending the pigs. And he realizes and he comes to his senses that the servant in his father's house would eat better than what these pigs are eating right here, right now. And he realizes, I'm going to go back to my father. Maybe he'll take me in as a servant, and then everything will be a lot better than where it is right now. So he starts his journey going back home, and then the father 
he glances and he sees him from afar, the Bible says. And the father starts to run towards his son through the paddock. You know, it's like a great slow motion moment, you know, in the movies where they, they have the music. You know, they've got the music going and there's slow motion running. Just imagine then the son's there. He's running from afar. Back to, he sees the father running. So he's like, I'm going to run too. Um, and he's going slow motion, you know, maybe slips over, gets back up, you know, what ripes himself off and keeps on running. And then they make this great embrace moment. And then you've got the drone footage, you know, that's like shooting around them. And it's just like amazing. It's like the climax of the movie. And then all of a sudden, the, the father's like, come on, grab the best robe, which would have been his father's. He puts the best robe on him. Then he gets a ring and puts a ring, which simplifies authority on his son. And then he says, hey, bring some shoes. Because slaves would be people that didn't wear shoes. So he was saying that I'm not just taking you back as a slave or a servant, but as my son. And we see this amazing love, this heart of the father that Jesus is showing us, how he embraced his son, no matter what he's done. And then he says, hey, we're going to have a party tonight. So they, they, they kill the fattened calf, which would feed all the community, and they're having this party. And now we're going to get into the scriptures. Are you ready to read the Bible? Oh, it's good to be in a hot church. All right. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But, this, this, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, we know this chapter in Luke 15. It has three lost things. It has a lost sheep in this chapter. Then the chapter has a lost coin in the chapter. And then it has a lost prodigal living son, which we just read. But I want to propose this morning that there is a fourth lost item in this chapter. And that's the older son who became lost in the house. How does someone who lives with the father, who works for the father, who is sitting down and having daily, you know, dinner with the Father, hanging out with the Father, working for the Father, lose or miss the Father's heart completely and become lost. How, how do we come to church and we, we come to church and we're serving the Father, we come and we're, we're maybe on stage or maybe we're serving in a team or maybe we're just attending or, or maybe how we can become lost in the house as well, even though we're in church, even though we're doing things for the Lord, even though we're worshiping God, even though we go to a connect group or small group, even though we go and we help out in community things and, and be that, we can become lost in the house as well. And I think... If this older son, it can happen to him, it can happen to us. He actually lost, he missed, he totally, he lived a life that was missing the father's heart. And my thought is, 
Is it the father's fault? Did the father have some favoritism issues here? You know, anyone here is a younger brother? I'm a younger brother. I'm a younger sibling. You know, my, my older brother got everything. He got, you know, the new shirts. I got his hand-me-downs. You know, I'm still working through that this morning. You know, I'm still getting through that. When it came to, to Christmas, I would get like a Tickle Me Almo, And then he would have like this huge, like big um, Sega Master System 3 that, that he would play. Who remembers the Sega Master System 3? Anyone in the room? No? All right. There's, thank you for those five people in the room. I was bored with my toy after 15 minutes. You know, he was playing a whole year and still like, whoa, Alex kid, still trying to pass the same level. You know, um, thing is, uh, this whole thing with him was he killed the fattened calf that would feed a whole community for his younger son, but his older son, he wouldn't even have a younger goat that he could have with his friends to eat together. That's like a little bit of favoritism, right? It's like giving your younger son a, I don't know, BMW M3. You know, it's a great car. And then all of a sudden, your older brother, you just give him, your older son, sorry, you give him a Hyundai XL. You know, like, and then when you go to give him the keys, you're like, oh, actually, your mum needs it. You know, and then you're like, oh, didn't even get to drive the car. You know, it's kind of like that thing here. The here he is, and, and it, is it the father's fault that why he is like he is? Now, I want to propose that he got it all wrong and it wasn't his father's fault, but it was the older son's fault. And, and I think right here is because he perceived his father's love was earned. That's how he became lost in the house. He perceived that the father's love was earned. Most of us here on planet Earth, you know, we, have, we probably have been raised with a value system of earning our own way. Yeah? that you earn it. You've got to work hard. Why? Because you've got to earn your own way. And so I remember in high school, we would be working hard and then you would get the results from the test and you would look at the results and look around. And I remember my, my best friend, Ashley, he was from Singapore. He was very smart. And I remember asking him, hey, what did you get, Ashley? And he's like, I got a distinction. And I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, I'm Caucasian. You know, I'm like happy with a pass. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I passed. My mom's like, good, good boy. You know, I'm like, yeah. And I look across at him and I realize he's starting to freak out. And I didn't realize until we got home and then there is grandma is and she's like, hey, Ashley, what did you get on your test? La. You know, that's like Singaporean. You always put la on the end. And, uh, and, there he, and he's like, oh, I got a distinction. She's like, what? A distinction? And she's like, not a HD? You need to get a HD, you know? And it, there's Ashley, he got grounded for two weeks. I was like, oh my gosh, I would not survive in this house, you know? <laughs> oh gosh, it's so funny. But you know, we take this whole thought of when we do well in school, we bless our kids. And then when they don't do well, we withhold blessing from them. And, you know, as you grow up in that whole thought of earning and that, and this whole, um, uh, you know, sense of that, when you take that to your relationship with God, all of a sudden when you do good, God will bless you and He loves you. But then when you do bad or when you make mistakes, all, oh, God doesn't love me anymore and He, he isn't going to bless me. And we take this same paradigm of what we have in the world, we take that with our relationship with God, and we perceive that God's love is earned. 
the truth is that God's love is not earned. It was given, and it is given, and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live your life. You cannot do anything, good or bad, that will make God love you more or less because He loves you so much. He so loves us that He gave His one and only Son. That's how much He loves you. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. And you know, I think we're here when we see the older son, he's learning on the job. He's like, it's an apprenticeship. There he is, he's learning that the father's love isn't earned, and if it's not earned, how can it be fair? The truth is, is that God's love for us is not fair at all. It is not fair, it is scandalous. God loves you, and he puts his love, and he lavishes it on us, no matter what happens, no matter what we do. See, the other thing that I think is, how did the older brother become lost in the house? Is he focused on himself. The father says this, this brother of yours was lost and is now found. He was dead, but is now alive. How did the older brother make his, his younger brother becoming lost and found, dead, now alive? How did he make his younger brother all about himself? Don't we do this? You know, my wife, Sarah, it was her birthday, and she wanted, I was like, what do you want for your birthday? She was like, I want a bike. And I'm like, yeah, a bicycle bike. You know, and I'm like, great. And then I was like, what sort of bike? She's like, I want this one. And I had a look at it, and it was a vintage bike. I was like, great, I can get one of these from the tip. Uh, <laughs> we all know that didn't happen, right? <laughs> we all know that didn't happen. It definitely went through my mind. But there, we, we see, and, and, and then she, I'm looking at this bike, it's like a Tiffany blue color. Now, if you're single in this place, you need to learn what Tiffany blue is. It'll definitely help you later on in life. Now, a Tiffany blue color, and it, it, it was like this old vintage bike, and it had like this basket on the front, and I'm like, we, we can't get this for you, you know? I can't be seen riding next to something like that, you know? Like, look at it, it's got like this basket, and old school, and because I'm like, if I get a bike, I don't have a bike yet, but if I buy a bicycle, I'm going to buy a race bicycle. How is that one even going to keep up with my bike that I might one day get? You know, and here she is, and she's just got real angry at me, and she's just like, no, 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 this is what I want. The reality is, how did I make my wife's present all about me? How, how, when did we make church all about ourselves? When do we make, you know, come to church and we get in here and then we look up on stage and we see who's playing and we see who's worship leading. We're like, oh, yes, my favorite worship leader. It's going to be a good Sunday, you know, and, and then they come up and then, and then they're in there and then all of a sudden they're looking at the screen for the words and they get the first song. Oh, this is my favorite. Yeah, you know, and they start to get in it. Oh, I love this one, the worship song and in the worship's going and there you are like another fantastic song and then they get into the other song like, oh, I don't know about this one, you know, I'm not, I'm not lifting my hands for this song choice, you know, there we are, and then, and then we get up to the MC, and then we're, we're looking around, and then, and then we see Ryan getting up stage, and you're like, oh, I love Ryan, <laughs> such an amazing pastor, you know, he's, he's so good, he's so genuine, such a good guy all around, great father now, and there he gets up and says, you're like, oh yeah, he's going to be preaching this morning. And then you got some white Caucasian dude from south of the river, you know, yeah. You're like, he probably, he probably barracks for the Dockers too. You know, I do. And there you are going, what the heck's going on? 
It's true, right? We, we make church about us. We make it. We come in here and we're like, oh, I don't know whether I like this sermon. It's a little loud for me. You know, I just want to say, you know, and go back. And we come in and we make church all about ourselves. Where, when do we start doing it? How does this happen? I, I believe it comes from, you know, watching great TV shows like MasterChef. Have you ever caught yourself sitting down and as they're making this meal, you're like, oh, bad choice. You know, bad, bad, oh, too much salt. Oh, you know, and they're coming in and they're, they're mixing it with a bit of lemon juice. You're like, oh, no, it's just definitely not going to work, mate. And there you are. And then you've got other great TV shows like Australian Idol, like The Voice. And there you are sitting down and you know you're the best judge. You're sitting down in your sofa eating your popcorn. And as you're listening, there they are. And you're just like, bad song choice. Just, I don't know. It just didn't make me like just pop out of my sofa. I just didn't feel it, you know. I just, and then we're listening to them and they're like, oh, oh bung note right there. And, and I know there's guys in this place and you're watching the West Coast Eagles game last night. And you're like in there and you're screaming at them. Why don't you just kick it straight? Come on, guys, pick the ball up. But when's the last time you kicked a football? Hey, it's hard work. We do it, right? We think that we know everything. We think we know how it should be done. And there we are, we're telling everyone how it is. And we take this same critiquing spirit and we pull it into our church and we come around going, oh, they need to do this and that and this and the other. And we, we, we then take that into our marriage and then our marriage becomes about what our spouses can do for us and what we can get out of a marriage. Our, our, our marriage, the vows become the commitment. It all of a sudden has become a contract and all of a sudden it's, it's no longer a covenant. It's now a contract of what I can get out of it and what I can get. And then we take that and then instead of your, your, your marriage being about the other person, how much you can love the other person, it became all about you and what you can get out of it. We, we take that same spirit into Jesus and our relationship with him. And Jesus becomes about what he can do for us. Jesus becomes, you know, our little lackey that we like ring the, the bell of prayer, ding, 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 Lord Jesus, and we expect Jesus just like, like a waiter. You know, oh, what do you want, you know? And he comes in, and he's like waitering on us, and he's like, what would you like? And we're like, Jesus, I'd like to win the lottery. Uh, I'd like a new car. I'd like you to fix, oh, you know that guy at work? Yeah, I'd like you to fix him, you know? And, you know, we, we start telling Jesus what we, what we want, and, and you know, uh, and Lord, we, we need a better home loan price as well, and I need it. And we expect Jesus to go around. You know what? If Jesus did everything you say, that would make you God, and that would make him your lackey. That would make him the servant. You know, the reality is, hey, God is God, and we are his servants, and we're here, and we, we understand, we, we love him, and all that. But it's not about us. It's not about us. This critiquing spirit, these Pharisees in Jesus' times, they were like this too. It was all about them. It was all about how much they can benefit, what they could get out of, out of the whole society, the, the church and all that. And in Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus says, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is more concerned about what's happening in you than what's happening outside of you. 
He is more, hey, these Pharisees, they thought they had it all together because on the outside, it looked like they did. But the inside, there was different motives. There was different, they weren't just doing that because they loved God. They weren't just doing that because they were devoted to Him. No, no, there was ulterior motives inside them that were trying to prosper themselves, not everyone else. And this is the same thing. What, what was it that, that, was, that was about Jesus in, in understanding this? What concerned Him so much about this whole thing of what's happening inside rather than outside. It says in Proverbs 4 verse 23 in the Amplified Bible, it says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. Did you know, out of your heart, your heart will dictate. Your heart is the steering wheel. It's the rudder of your life. And it will dictate where you end up. Hey, if, 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 if everything's going wrong, hey, don't look at everything on the outside. Look at what's going on on the inside. Look at what's going inside here. It, the theme of your life, the flow of your life comes from in here. Have you ever seen those people that everything goes wrong? Have you, you, anyone know people that everyone goes wrong in their life? And they're like, oh, this happened, and then now my car's broken down, and I built a bed, and I was on it, and then it fell down, and, you know, and it collapsed, and you just... Whoa, 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 how does all this happen to one person? And you think, because out of your heart flows the life spring of your life. Your heart is the steering wheel of your life. God is more about what's happening inside you because he understands that it's the most important thing because everything's going to be worked out from inside you. That's why Jesus doesn't mind what's going on on the outside with sin and gear like that and, and all that. Because he's, he's going, hey, no, 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 I want to deal with the root, not just the fruit. Yeah. Yeah, hey, Jesus, he wants to deal with, hey, what's going on inside? Because he knows, hey, anyone can, you know, fix the spider's web. Anyone can pull off the fruit. But, hey, when you go for the tree, when you go for the spider, that's when you know it's going to be gone forever. Amen? So in there we see... The older, we see a glimpse of the older son's heart by what comes out of his mouth. We see in Luke 15, verse 29, it says, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In becoming so self-absorbed and self-centered, he became lost in the, in the house. How? Because he became over-familiar with the father. Get this, look, scholars say that a, a reply from his older son saying, look to the father, not using his words father, not using his title, not using his name, was incredibly disrespectful. The older son became so familiar with, with the father that all of a sudden he lost the respect and the value that the father deserved. I think we can become over familiar with God. We can become so over-familiar with church. Just come in, do the songs, preach, check that box, and out we go. You know, we, we can become so over-familiar with what we're doing. You see, we can get so over-familiar because we can, we can treat God and His Spirit like a commodity. 
like, oh, I felt it this morning. It's not an it, it's a him. And his name is Jesus, and he's in this place. We, we come in here not just to feel better about ourselves, but we come in here to show our value and our love for Jesus Christ and for God the Father in heaven, amen? And as we do that, and as we come in here, we give him all the glory, we give him all the value. That's why it doesn't matter what songs we sing. I went preaching in Indonesia, and I didn't know any of the language of the songs or anything like that, but I sung it, and I was like, I, God, God just spotted me. He's like, what, what are you doing? Because I'm like, oh, I don't know the song, so I don't need to sing. And he's like, no, 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 it's not about you and what you know and what you don't know. It's about me, and it's about worshiping me. So I just started singing in another language and just worshiping God. I'm sure it's great what I'm singing to you, God, you know, <laughs> and just doing that. Because it's not about me. The songs aren't about me. The sound isn't about me. The visuals aren't about me. The word isn't about me. It's about God. And it's about me honoring Him and putting Him first in my week. Amen? So he became over-familiar with the Father. And I think he also, his perception was confused. He perceived himself to be working as a slave and not as a son. Why is this important? Because if he, the older son thought he was a slave and not a son, he didn't realize that everything that he was working for, everything that he was working on, everything that he was touching actually belonged to him. He responds, you give the, the calf, but not even a younger goat to me. Hey, he could have had it and he could have just taken it and he could have just killed it because it was already his. How many things in your life has God already given you but you don't realize yet? How much has God already blessed you? How much authority and dominion has God already placed in you and on you? And he wants to bless you, but you're still waiting. You're like, God, is it ready? You know, but God's already given it to you. It's just time for you to step in it and realize who you are as a son and daughter of God and therefore what your inheritance is. Hey, amen, that we're not living for eternity, but we're living from eternity. Amen. That we're not, we're not here just going, oh, I'm going to make it to eternity. No, no, no. We're, going, we're, already, we're already going to eternity. You know, we're, already, we're living from that place of blessing and trying to help everyone else and pull them in and get them invited too. See, I love how the author in Hebrews 12 verse 1, I love it how he puts this whole thing of living a life for Christ Jesus. He says here, let us lay aside every weight and sin. If we're going to have the worship team come, that would be great. And we'll land the service. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you know that we're all running our own race? Do you know that you're running your own race? We've got to remember that we're not all running in the same race. We're all running in our individual races in what God has planned and purposed for your life. The problem with running in a race that you think everyone's running in with you is that when you look left and right, you always see someone that's doing better or doing worse. You know, we start to ask people, oh, how's your week been? And then they're like, oh, awesome. And you're like, oh, I've had a terrible week. I just want to hear someone that's had a worse week than me. You know, you're just, just trying to keep on finding someone's... Run your own race. We're running our own race. This whole term, race, in the, in the Greek, is called agon. 
meaning where we get the term agony from. This whole thing is the concept of someone that's running a 400 meter race. And you know what, when you start, you're fresh and you're running, but then you get to this moment where it's about 300 meters or 100 meters if you're me, you know, where your calves are burning up and that burning rises into your hamstrings and then into your gluteus maximus and your muscles like, oh my gosh. You know, they're, they're, you've got the lactic acid that's going through and, and this whole thing of pushing of letters laying aside and push this race, this picture of what it is, is living a life for Jesus. It's the tension of pushing into everything that Christ Jesus has for your life. It's the tension of faith that we all live in. This, this race, this Aegon, we live this tension. But it says here, how do we win in this race of life? How do you win in, win in your own race? Is when you lay aside every weight and sin. You see, there are things in your life that aren't sin, but they're weighty. They're not bad, they're just weighty. They're just heavy. It's going to hinder you. You see, the picture of what Christ wants to reveal in this scripture is, you know when you, you see the athletes in the Olympics and you see the swimmers and they're getting ready to swim? They've got a tracksuit on, yeah? The tracksuit is there to keep their muscles warm so they're not going to pull anything. They're not going to have any injuries. It's all about keeping their muscles warm. But when they get next to, they're about to swim, when they're about to t- step onto the blocks, they quickly take off their tracksuit and they jump on to the blocks and then they swim. Let me tell you, if they kept their tracksuit on, which was doing good at the start, if they kept that tracksuit on when they went into the water, who knows that they'll have so much drag that they won't be able to get anywhere fast at all. They won't be able to compete. They won't be able to... You know, this is the picture of what we're about. We're, we're meant to be when we meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you've got the tracksuit on. It's all about you. It's all about how Jesus takes away your sin, takes away your condemnation, your shame. When He takes all that away, when He frees you, it's all about you when you meet Jesus because He died on the cross for you. Amen? He died on the cross to free you, to live a life that's amazing, that's free, that you have liberty in it. But then, all of a sudden, it then becomes about other people. It comes... You then take off the tracksuit of faith of you mature in Christ and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, actually Jesus isn't just for me, but He's also for everyone else that don't know Him as well. Amen? All of a sudden you start living beyond yourself and you start sacrificing, you start loving someone, laying something down, laying yourself down for someone else. Hey, this is what we've got to be, church. You know, I love it how it says here, looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you know what that author and finisher? It's pioneering. What did Jesus pioneer? At the Garden of Gethsemane, He said this, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. This is the pioneering spirit that Jesus wants us to understand. That being a Christian is no longer about doing your will, having your own way, but it's about, God, I want to seek your will first. I want to seek your kingdom first. I want to see your will be done first. I want to, Lord, not my will, but yours. That's where we got to be, church. That's what He's saying. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about loving Him. 
It's about loving our neighbor, people that don't know Jesus as well. See, in my life, I, I grew up three months after I was born, my, my daddy committed suicide, jumped in front of a train. So I grew up with me, my older half-brother, um, and my mum, just three of us. And we used to live in Homes West housing and uh, state housing. Well, we weren't well off at all. We, we were quite doing a little tough. I remember when my mum would go without so we could have. And my brother started to get into all, you know, drugs, gang scenes, fights. And I used to look up to him so I would follow in his stead. And I remember finding myself in this place where my mum came to church. She used to drag us in. I remember finding myself in this place where I was so lost. I was so lost. I was lost. I was like that prodigal son that I went out and tried to do it all my own way and trying to live and all that. But the thing is, is that I felt so empty and I felt so just, there was something in me that wasn't feeling the fulfillment. The drugs, the party, they didn't do it anymore because I just, I just felt emptier. And I remember going, Jesus, if you're real, show me. And if you do, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And I remember stepping up and I remember coming down the front. And as I did so, I, I had an encounter with Jesus. I had an encounter with the Lord. All of a sudden, instantaneously, my life, it was, it was like it was turned around. Chains came off my shoulders. I, I felt for the first time what God had called me to and what He called me for and what He freed me from. And right there and then, I remember I was, I was lactose intolerant. I was allergic to milk. And I remember going home that day and I just sculled a liter of milk and I've been drinking it ever since. And it tastes good. You know, God literally turned my life around, changed me. I started running programs in my school, trying to share the gospel with my friends of how great God is. I started buses coming from my school, going to um, youth group and people being reached. I, I then became a youth pastor in a church that we planted in over 10 years. We saw the youth ministry go from 16 to 250. We saw people making decisions week in, week out. We saw God moving and it was all because God did something in my life and I wanted to share that to other peoples as well. I don't know who you are in this place, but if you don't know Jesus, He wants to know you. And I want to invite you to meet Him. It says in His Word that that he's, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life, be living in heaven with God the Father. I don't know about you, but if you're not right with God, there's only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus Christ, and that's believing in Him. So if everyone can close their eyes and bow their heads for a private moment. If you know you're not right with God, you know, you've got sin in your life. You know, you, you've, you've walked away from God or maybe you've never known God, but you're hearing the story of how Jesus has come, how the Father's heart is for you and He loves you so much. No matter what you do, you can't change that. But right now, you want to believe in this Jesus and you want to be freed from sin. Right now, if you want to get right with God, you want to make this decision to believe in Jesus that He died on the cross for you for your sin and He rose again. I just want you to lift your hand right now where you're at from the front. Yeah, I see that hand right there. Awesome. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone here in this place from the left to the right? You know you're not right. Yeah, I see those hands at the back. You can put them down now. Anyone else in this place that you're not right with God and you want to get right with God right now? I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you. One, it'll be the best decision you can ever make in your whole entire life. Two, it'll change. I see that hand. You can put it down. 
Anyone else in this place, you want to say, hey, yeah, I want to be included in this prayer, John 3. Awesome. Hey, can we all stand to our feet? And can we encourage every single person that said, yeah, I want to pray this prayer. I want to make this decision. Come on, let's, let's, let, let, let's put our hands together for them. It's so good. So good. Hey, right now, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray a prayer together. I'll, I'll pray it first and then you can repeat it after me. Why don't you repeat? Jesus, I need you. I've made mistakes. I've done wrong. But I know that you died on the cross with my sin, with my shame for me. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And right now, I want to invite you into my heart. Be my best friend. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Because I want to live for you and with you. In Jesus' name.